And this morning I want to lead into that. But everything that we do is by faith. And you know what? By faith, we can move mountains. We can do all things through Christ. And so I want to encourage you, Lord, just to be faithful and uh, to walk in faith. Today I want to talk to you about the fortitude of faith. If you have your Bibles, open them uh, to the 10th chapter of uh, Hebrews. And um, I'm going to show you what faith produces uh, in life. And I want to begin with just a little illustration of, uh, <laughs> I almost hate to do this because I know we have some fans and some not fans. I'm not necessarily a big fan of um, professional football these days. I don't necessarily watch too much of it. I think, I can't remember the last time I sat and watched a full football game. But back in the day, I was a pretty big Dallas Cowboy fan. I grew up in North Texas. And uh, so, so back in the day, I was a pretty big fan. And in 1990, the Dallas Cowboys drafted in the first round of the NFL draft that year. They drafted a running back out of uh, University of Florida. He wasn't, the first, he wasn't the first back taken in the draft that year. He wasn't the biggest back in the draft. He wasn't the fastest. In fact, at 5'9 and 240 pounds, he was one of the smallest running backs in the entire uh, uh, that was to be drafted that year. His name was Emmett Smith. And in, the, in his 15-year career with the Dallas Cowboys, he set the record that honestly will not soon be broken for, uh, for running backs uh, gaining yardage on the ground, over 18,000 yards on the ground. The reason it's not going to be broken anytime soon is because offenses today in the NFL uh, tendency, uh, have a tendency to throw the ball more than they run. And uh, the guy who is nearest him, to the, act, the most active running back today, uh, would have to gain another 10,000 yards. He's gained like 8,000 yards in his uh, uh, six or seven year career. He would have to gain another 10,000 yards before he retired. And uh, probably that record of 18,000 something yards by Emmett Smith is not going to be broken soon. He scored over 170 touchdowns during his career. In fact, 175 times that he touched the ball, he scored a touchdown for his team. Uh, over 21,500 all-purpose yards that's running and, and passing as well. I mean, he set all kinds of records in his 15-year career. But one of, the, one of the biggest records that he set is the number of times that he was tackled. He was tackled more in his career than anybody that's ever played football. He was tackled, fourth, I wrote it down, 4,744 times. 4,744 times that he touched the ball. He was stopped. He was, he was taken down, sometimes for positive yardage, sometimes for negative yardage. But 4,744 times he was tackled. And he was very famous for getting up each time he was tackled. And saying to the guy who tackled him, is that all you got? Is that all you got? Emmett Smith was known not just for running the football. He was known for getting tackled. And he was known for getting up. He was the kind of player that wouldn't stay down. And I mention that today as just as an illustration because, beloved, we live in a world that is going to knock you down. 
It doesn't matter who you are or what, how old you are or what you've done. Sooner or later, you're going to get knocked down. And the reality is, is you're probably going to get knocked down over and over and over and over again. The question is, are you going to keep getting up? Or maybe even beyond that, how do you keep getting up when you get knocked down over and over again? And, and the world in which we live tends to say, hey, why don't you just go ahead and stay down? Why don't you give up? Why don't you just do yourself a favor and everybody else and just stay? And what's really interesting about this getting knocked down business, and we live in a world that's going to knock you down, being a, a man or a woman of faith in Jesus Christ is really not going to change that. Believers get knocked down at least as much as everybody else, and maybe more so. In fact, sometimes it's because of our faith that we're going to get knocked down in this world. In fact, believers may, and, and certainly in the world in which we live, and it's, in, and it's increasing in our own nation, but across this world, persecution of believers is on the increase. It's, it's, it's happening at a greater rate these days than at any other time in our history. Believers are being persecuted for their faith. And, but that really shouldn't surprise us. You know, the Lord Jesus said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, and if they killed Jesus, why wouldn't they do the same to people that claim him as their Savior and Lord? And so just being a person of faith or just having faith in Jesus Christ does not make you immune to getting knocked down. The question again is, what are you going to do about it? When you keep getting knocked down, are you going to keep getting up? Or, as some do, are you going to stay down? And, and, and the question that I'd like to, for you to think about with me today is, does the Bible have any encouragement for us when we get knocked down? And the answer is, yes, it does. In this book of Hebrews that we've been, uh, we've been preaching from for about the last year, the writer of Hebrews has been encouraging us to keep our eyes on the prize, and the prize is Jesus. In fact, what he's tried to do for us is to present the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that, uh, that causes us to look up rather than to look down. Jesus is the prize, and it really is all about Jesus because he is superior. He's superior to uh, angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to the law. He's superior to religion or anything else. You can trust him. You can count on him, and he is, he is the one in whom you can put your faith, and he never, ever, ever will let you down. And when you get knocked down, He's the one to look to. Now, now this 10th chapter is kind of the culmination of his teaching on the superiority of Jesus. If you don't know who Jesus is, I mean, you just go through those first, um, uh, those first 10 chapters of, of Hebrews and why you should trust him and why you should look to him. And here in this 10th chapter, we saw uh, last time, this was two weeks ago, that uh, he said, but you know, uh, the reason that is good news, the reason it's so important to us, or the reason that Jesus is so vital to us is because there's something called the wrath of God. That's the bad news. And he said in verse 31 there, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Look, look down at it with me. He says um, in verse 31, it's terrifying it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God because God is a God of love, yes, but he's also a God of wrath. 
And if you reject the love of God, you get the wrath of God. So reject the wrath of God, you'll get the love of God. That is the good news. And how do we receive God's love? How do we receive that great salvation and the forgiveness and all the things that he's been talking about? It comes by faith in Jesus. And so what he does here is he closes out this, this section on who Jesus is and how we should respond to him. He brings us to an encouragement of faith. And that's what I want to look at this morning as we begin in verse 32. He says, remember the early days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. And read there, you got knocked down. Okay, you'd been enlightened, you're a child of God, you're a man or a woman of faith, and you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Or read in there, get up. Don't throw it away. Verse 36, for you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you will receive what was promised. And now he's going to quote Isaiah 26 for us. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And now he's going to quote Habakkuk chapter 2. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. And, and that pleasure you're going to have to hold on to till next week. Now verse 39. But we are not those who draw back. And here's the uh, encouragement. We are not those who draw back and are destroyed. But those who have faith and are saved. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Now notice where he's come to here. He's telling us who we are. Who are you? You're not one who's going to lay there after you've gotten knocked down. You're going to keep getting up. Why? Because you are a child of God. You're a man of faith. You're a woman of faith. We're not those who draw back. We're not going to be those who displease God. And again, I'll talk about that uh, more next week. You are those who are people of faith. We have faith and are saved. So what he's doing here, beloved is he's encouraging us in our faith in the midst of all the mess of this world. In fact, look at what he talks about back in verse 32. He says, remember those early days after you had been enlightened, you had endured a hard struggle of suffering. That word enlightened means that, they had, that the light had come on. They had seen Jesus. They accepted Jesus. They received Jesus. He's talking to believers. He's talking to God's people. And he says, watch this, you were enlightened and then you endured this hard struggle of suffering. This, this hard suffering that he's talking about here is a, is a word that actually relates to an athletic competition. And that's what gave me the idea of talking about Emmett Smith and the number of times that he got tackled. When you're engaged in, a, um, uh, in, in an athletic competition, somebody is always against you. He might very well have been speaking of uh, those early believers when they were put into the arena. And wild dogs or animals or uh, lions or tigers or something were released. And then for the entertainment of the people who were watching, the Christians were being torn limb from limb. That hard suffering could relate very much to that. And so he says... 
After your enlightenment, you had already come to faith in Christ. You are a man of God. You're a child of God. You're a believer. And yet still you had the hard, this hard suffering. And how did it come? He said in verse 33, for some of you it came directly. Some of you were publicly exposed to the taunts and the afflictions and all those things because you're a believer. And then at the end, he says that other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. In other words, you didn't just let those who were being, who were being persecuted, you just didn't let them go off by themselves, but you were right there with them. So maybe you suffered because of what people were doing to you. Maybe you suffered because of what they were doing to other believers. At any rate, whatever happened was you were enduring this hard suffering, and your faith didn't make you immune from that. In fact, it seems to have exacerbated it. I mean, these folks were, were suffering because of their faith. And so the encouragement here is in the midst of your affliction, your suffering, your trials, your tribulation. Get up. And how do I get up? I get up by faith. Now, beloved, you and I have not had to experience this type of affliction, these type of sufferings. Maybe we suffer, and some of us maybe have suffered more than others. Very few of us, I would guess, have suffered because of our faith. Maybe people have laughed at you or ridiculed you in some way. But I would guess that not too many of us have been, uh, have been chased around and beaten and those type of things uh, for our faith in Christ. It may happen soon. It seems to me as I look at the world in which we live in our own nation, it looks like those things are uh, increasing. In fact, the only... Uh, politically correct bigotry in our country today is bigotry against believers. You can say anything you want to against Christians. You can't say anything about anybody else or you will be, uh, you know, you'll be thrown in jail, right? But here's the point. If faith worked for these folks who were going through all these things, could it work for you and me when we go through whatever it is that we face or whatever we're, we're going to face? And that, beloved, is the fortitude of faith. Faith is vital to us as God's people because of what we're going to face in this world, the trial, the tribulation, the problem, you know, whatever it is that we're going to, to face, we, we're going to need a strong faith, and faith is going to produce some things in our life that aren't going to come any other way. And so what I want to share with you now, just what this Scripture passage teaches us, I think, that faith produces in the life of a child of God and, and what is going to allow you or help you to get up when you get knocked down, all right? I'm calling this the fortitude of faith. And I want to give you three things that faith produces in the life of a child of God. Here we go. You ready? Number one, faith produces joy when you want to cry. It produces joy when you want to cry. So the writer of Hebrews here is talking to people who have been knocked down by life. And it's been very, very troubling. It's been a hard struggle. It's, uh, it's, uh, sometimes it's been because uh, just their own faith. Sometimes it's been because of other people's faith. And they keep getting knocked down and knocked down and knocked down. Sometimes they went to the prison and uh, sometimes they were thrown in prison or they identified with those in prison because of their faith. And so anyway, there's a great deal of suffering. And notice, but notice what he says here in uh, verse 34. He says, you sympathize with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions. 
<laughs> you accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions. Now, now, what he's talking about here is something that is absolutely, totally, 180 degrees opposite from what you'd expect or what human nature would tell you to do. They accepted with joy the confiscation of their possessions. I mean, it'd be kind of like this. If you were, uh, if you were to go with us to minister in, uh, uh, in the prison sometime, maybe on some Tuesday or Thursday night with, uh, uh, with the academy or maybe on Saturday when we, uh, when we have services out there and you're there ministering to the prisoners and everything, and then you come back. Because, note, I mentioned that just because he says here that you sympathize with the prisoners. And, you know, Jesus said, when you've done it unto the least of these, you've visited in prison, you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. So you're ministering, you're serving. And then you come home one day after ministering in the prison to the prisoners, sympathizing with the prisoners. And somebody has broken into your home, and they've stolen all your goods, and they spray-painted on your walls, Christian, get out. And they burn a cross on your front lawn, or maybe they've done something else. And you call the police, and the police don't want to hear it because they don't really care. They're not going to do anything about it. And so what do you do? How do you react, or how do you respond to that? You gather your small group of believers, and you all begin to pray and rejoice in the Lord. That's basically what he's talking about here. Notice again what he says in verse 34. You accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions. That is, you rejoice in the Lord in all things, even when you lost everything that belonged to you. How in the world do you do that? You know, there's, a, there's an example of this, a really beautiful example in the fifth chapter of Acts. In fact, if you go to Acts, and I would encourage you maybe this afternoon, I'll just quickly tell the story. This afternoon, uh, go back and read Acts 4 and 5. But, but it's right after Pentecost, and Peter and John go into the temple, and they find the guy there who is, uh, who's, who's uh, laying there begging because he can't walk. He's a cripple. And uh, Peter looks at him and says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. The Bible says walking and leaping and praising God. This man goes running into the temple, jumping and shouting, praising Jesus for what Jesus had done to him. And so they take that opportunity to preach Jesus. Peter and John get up and they say, hey, Jesus is the one who did, the one you crucified who rose again. And man, they start preaching Jesus. People start getting saved. In fact, the Bible says there's another 3,000 or so that get saved that day. And the religious leaders take notice because they're preaching Jesus, the one that they crucified. And so they arrest them and pull them in there. And they tell them not to preach this Jesus anymore. And they threaten them and beat them and everything. And then they let them go. And in verse 41, it says, they went out. Here's Peter and John. They went out rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. And the name he's talking about there is Jesus. They, went, they, were, they were beaten. And so what did they do? Get mad at God and say, man, what are you doing here? We're trying to be faithful to you. All this other stuff and all this bad stuff. I mean, God, what are you doing? No. They get beaten for Jesus and now they're rejoicing. Hey, we get to take some of the shame that's meant for Jesus. I mean, they were rejoicing in the Lord. That's what the writer's talking about here. You found joy 
in your, in your circumstances, even though what the world would look at and say, man, that's bad, you look at and you say, man, that's good, why? Watch this. In fact, let me give you one other verse. It's in uh, James chapter 1. James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote this. He said, consider great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let me just uh, paraphrase that for you. Count it all joy when you fall into different troubles and trials, because you know God's at work, and he's not done. In my favorite Bible verse, uh, Romans uh, eight twenty eight. for we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In other words, you don't know whether it's good or bad till God gets finished with it. And so rejoice in the Lord. Now, how in the world can you do that? Because this goes against human nature. I mean, for him to say, you know, hey, you folks, um, you know, you folks accepted with joy the confiscation of your, of your possessions. Yeah, that's just not right, right? I mean, that's not the way things work in this world. But look at what he says. He says, because, here's why you did it, verse 34, last part. Because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. Better and enduring possession. Better means superior. Enduring means it keeps on going. That is the things that you're holding on to in this world, the things that you lost maybe, are inferior and they're temporary. Or it'd be kind of like this. If you had two bags of money in your hands, one had a million dollars in it and one had a nickel. And somebody came along and, stu- and stole your bag that had a nickel in it. Would you gripe and moan and scream and wail and everything? No. <laughs> Thank you for shaking your head. No. Because you've got that. You would rejoice in what you have. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, look at what you have. And, and when, you, when you begin to understand what you have, not what you lost, because that's what we do. Is we look at what we've lost, and then that becomes the most important thing. And he says, no, look at what you have. And what you have is so much greater. What is the better and enduring possession he's talking about? Well, it's all that stuff that he's been, that he's been dealing with here in the first 10 chapters. Uh, the first 10 chapters of Hebrews. It's that uh, triumph over death, it's being, uh, which is uh, chapter 2, verse 5. It's being perfected and purified uh, conscience. Chapter 9, verse 14. It's forgiveness and the forgetting of sin. Chapter 8, verse 12. It's knowing God and being near to God. Chapter 8, verse 11. On and on and on. This is the better and enduring possession in Christ Jesus that a child of God has. And so he says, and by the way, this is all, uh, we receive it by faith and we respond to it by faith. And so by faith, we rejoice with joy when we want to cry. When everything is falling, when everything is falling apart, when you get knocked down, how are you going to get up with joy? Because you're going to see what you've got is better and enduring. It's so much greater than what you've lost. So when you get knocked down, you get up rejoicing because what you have is greater than what you've lost. Like Emmett Smith, you can just say to the devil, at the best you got, son, come on. You got some more? Because I'm with Jesus. You know, in John chapter 16, verse 32, 33, the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. He says, you will have suffering in this world. Now, there's a promise. You will have suffering in this world, he says, but be courageous. King James says, be of good cheer, rejoice. 
Because I have conquered, I've overcome the world, Lord Jesus says. What does faith produce in my life? Joy when I want to cry. <laughs> Praise God. Number one, here's the second thing. Hope when you want to despair. Faith produces hope when you want to despair. I've always liked the definition of hope, H-O-P-E, having only positive expectations. Having only positive expectations. Hope is looking up when everything is looking down. Hope, again, is not natural, just like joy in this world is not natural. It's not necessarily something that comes, uh, uh, you know, just uh, because everything is going good, because everything's not going good. And the basic response of most of the world is despair. You get knocked down, stay down, and whine and moan about it. But I want you to notice what he says. Look down at verse 35. He says, so don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward. That word throw away means don't backtrack. Don't get rid of it. Okay, hang on to it. Don't throw away your confidence. That is, that is God has done something in your life. Hang on to that. And watch this because there is a coming reward. Now ask yourself this question. What is this great reward? Verse 36. For you need endurance, and that word endurance means just keep on going, man. You just keep on getting up, keep on going, keep on running, keep on trying. You need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. Now, you see that? After you've done God's will, that is, you keep on getting up, right? You keep on getting up because something's been promised. There is some great reward here. What is that? So he quotes Isaiah 26 in verse 37. He says, yet in a little while the coming one will come and not delay. Now who's the coming one or what is he talking about there? He's talking about the Lord Jesus, beloved. The coming one is Jesus. And Jesus is coming again. And Jesus is the great reward. You know, Jesus himself said, the night before he's crucified, John chapter 14, verse 3. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And listen to this promise now. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Beloved, you know, the reality is, is that whatever it is that you're going through right now, whatever you're facing right now, whatever you've been through, Whatever you're going to have to face in this world, whatever it is, it is not eternal. It's not. The problems you have right now, whatever problems they may be, they're not eternal. The trial and tribulation you have are not eternal. I like that old boy who said, you know, his favorite verse in the Bible was that one where it said, it came to pass. It came to pass. It didn't come to stay. It came to pass. Whatever it was. It came to pass. Nothing in this world comes to stay. But Jesus is eternal. Our trials, our troubles, our, our tribulation, whatever they are, they're not final. They're not ultimate. They don't come to stay. Jesus is final. Jesus is ultimate. And by the way, he is coming again. And when he, In fact, that is the great teaching of Scripture. Do you know there's more in the Word of God about the second coming of Christ than there is about the first coming? 
And praise God, he came that first time and he came to die on that cross. Listen, he's coming again as the reigning king of kings and lord of lords. And no matter what it is that is trying to rule over you today, Jesus is the king. Jesus rules over it. And beloved, he's coming again. And this is our hope, this truth, this reality. In the midst of all this despair, in the midst of all this junk of this world, Jesus is coming again. And that is our hope in Titus chapter 2 verse 11. The Apostle Paul, writing to his young protege, he said, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's his first coming. Instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. And so the fact that he came and saved us tells us how we ought to live. And then he says in verse 13, While we wait... For the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, what faith produces in us is hope. That is, whatever it is I'm, I'm facing here today is not final, and it's not forever. Jesus is, and if I'm with him, and he's over all this stuff, then, then there's a new day coming. In fact, Jesus is coming again, and he's going to come and set it right. So what did he do for me, or what do I look forward in him? Well, number one, he conquered death. And so he says that he that believeth in me will never die. And so as a child of God, I don't have to worry about death no more because death is done, right? Not only that, he opened the way to the throne of God. That veil's been torn. I can come directly into the presence of God. I can have a living personal relationship with the living God of the universe. He ever lives to make intercession for me. I mean, we could go on and on. See, see, because of what Jesus did. Now, I'm not putting my faith and hope in this world. I'm putting my faith and hope in him. And that eternal redemption that he began in me, and I know he's going to complete, and my faith tells me so. He perfects and he completes me. And he's coming again. And he's coming again soon. And that is our hope and faith in Jesus Christ. Watch, all of this is a function of our, of our faith. And I'll tell you why it has to be, because there's going to be people out there who are going to laugh at you. They laughed at these folks. They scoffed at them. In Peter, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, the apostle Peter writes this. He says, above all, be aware that scoffers will come in the last days scoffing and following their own evil desires. And that scoffing means they're laughing at you people of faith. They're laughing at you, saying, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since the ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they've been since the beginning of creation. Nothing's changed. He said he was going to come again. Where is he? He hadn't come again. And basically the word is, <coughs> so you just need to give up and give in and despair. Because Jesus is just a charlatan. He's not coming again. There's no reason to put your faith and hope in Jesus. If he was coming again, he had already come. And you know, those same kind of people are out there today, and they're saying exactly the same thing. And if you don't remember that faith is the victory, if you don't remember to trust, what's going to happen is you're going to fall into despair. A couple of verses after that uh, fourth verse in 2 Peter, Peter wrote this, Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact, that with, the day, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. In other words, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus ascended into heaven. It's just been a couple of days with God. And so some people say, well, wait a minute, it's been a long time. No, it hadn't. 
Because, see, God's not on our clock. He, he doesn't go by our calendar. He's got his own. And one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. It's just been a couple of days. Jesus said, I'm coming again. And we see the signs of his coming. I mean, more and more every day. And I'm kind of like those, those folks, you know, that said, Mary, now even so come, Lord Jesus. I'm ready. If it's today, praise God, I'm ready. If it's not today, I'm going to keep being faithful. And I'm going to keep hoping and trusting in you. But if it's today, come on, Lord Jesus, I'm ready for my faith to be made sight. Faith in Jesus produces hope when you want to despair. Joy when you want to cry. Hope when you want to despair. And then one final thing here real quick. It produces perseverance when you want to quit. Perseverance when you want to quit. Look back down at verse 36. He says, so you need endurance. You need endurance. That word endurance is sometimes translated patience. It's the same word that James used in James chapter 1 where he said, count it all joy when you fall into different trials and tribulations. You know, the trying of your faith works. Patience or endurance. This word just literally means a refusal to quit when everybody else is dropping out. And why in the world should we not quit? And he tells us in verse 39, because we're not those who quit or draw back and are destroyed, but we're those who have faith. That's what faith does. See, faith produces that endurance. Faith produces perseverance. Faith is the victory that allows you to keep getting up and getting up and getting up. When we get to chapter 12 here in a couple of weeks, we're going to see more of how the Christian life is a race and how we're called to keep on running. But it's not like a sprint. The, the Christian life, living for Jesus, is more like a marathon. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul said, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith it was the faith that kept me in the race and kept me running when I want to quit. I know I've told this story before, and I, I, and I really don't know this personally. Some of you might. I know we've got at least one guy in here who has run marathons. I've never run a marathon, but um, I've, I've read about those who have. I've got a son who runs marathons. And uh, a marathon is 26 miles, 365 yards, right? Um, <laughs> And uh, that's a long way, in case you're not sure about that. 26 miles is, is a long way. <laughs> and what they say is when you're running a marathon, everybody running a marathon hits what they call the wall at some point, somewhere around the 18 to the 20-mile mark in the marathon. You're running along, and, uh, you know, your, your, your muscles are cramping. I read, one, I read about one guy. He said it felt like I, had an, uh, I was carrying around an elephant on my back. Uh, you can't get your breath. Every fiber in your being is screaming, quit. Do yourself a favor. Why are you doing this to yourself? Why do you keep running? Stop. Drop out. And if you're going to finish the marathon, you've got to somehow, someway break through the wall. And before you start running, you have to decide, what am I going to do when I hit the wall? I mean, you, you know it's coming at some point. What are you going to do when you hit the wall? Now, if being a Christian is a marathon, and that would seem like that sooner or later, as a child of God, you're going to hit the wall. And my guess would be, in fact, I could give testimony to the fact I've hit the wall before. More than once, 
I wanted to quit. I've told my testimony uh, many times where by my very first church, I sat outside the church one Sunday night, and man, nothing was happening, nothing was going on. That's not the reason I'd, I'd come there. I cried out to God, and I said, God, get me out of here. Now I quit. I quit. I'd hit the wall. I don't know if you've ever hit the wall. You ever gotten to that place where you say, man, I just can't go on. I'm not going to go any further. What's the reason? Why don't I just quit? And everybody around you saying, yeah, quit. Drop out. It's not worth it means nothing why are you doing this to yourself i mean god said he was going to be with you now where is he why don't you just drop out and why don't you quit i don't know if you've ever been there but my guess is probably everybody has and if you hadn't got there yet you're going to get there sooner or later how do you go on that's the question how how do you keep running when every part of your being just says drop out faith Keep your eyes on the prize. And when you got the eyes on the prize, which is Jesus, you're going to keep running, even when you want to quit. You know, we sing that song sometime, one day at a time, sweet Jesus, one day at a time. That's all I'm asking from you. And sometimes that's the best you can do. You know, Isaiah put it this way. He said, um, uh, <laughs> It's uh, chapter 40, verse 1. He said uh, something about soaring like eagles, running and not growing weary, walking and not fainting. Sometimes all you can do is just get out of bed in the morning and take one step. And if you'll just keep on taking that step and taking that step by faith, what you're going to find is you're going to finish the race. That, beloved, is the perseverance that is produced by faith. It's keeping going when you want to quit, when you want to quit. Emmett Smith, um, I mentioned he was drafted in 1990. And at his very first training camp that spring, he was put in a room with Michael Irvin, who had been uh, drafted two years before. And so he had two, uh, two years of experience. So he's the veteran, and Emmett Smith is the rookie. And uh, on the first night, or, or on the night before their first day of training camp, they're in their room talking, and Michael Irvin says, you know, what kind of, what kind of goals do you think you're going to set for yourself? You know, what do you think, uh, what, what would you like to see in your career? And Emmett Smith says, I want to win Super Bowls. I want to see us win Super Bowls. And Michael Irvin is sitting there thinking, well, you know, that's really good, except Dallas Cowboys the year before won one game. The year before that, they won three games. The two years that Michael Irvin had been there, they had won four games. And now he said, I got this rookie here talking about winning Super Bowls. And he said, I'm kind of like, rookie, man, you just need to shut up, man. I mean, if you just, you know, if you can just make it through the season, man, maybe get to carry the ball a couple of times, you know, I mean, I mean, that's going to be good for you. You, you just need to, you just need to tone it down a little bit. Don't be talking about Super Bowls. We won four games in two years. What are you talking about? Two years after that conversation, Dallas Cowboys are Super Bowl champions. They won the Super Bowl the next year after that, and then two years after that, they won the Super Bowl three years and four years. And, and, and most of them go back to not just Michael Irvin, Troy Eggman, but this Emmett Smith kid that came in and said, you know what, I'm just not going to quit. I'm going to keep getting up. I'm not going to quit until we win Super Bowls. Beloved, I just want to ask you as a child of God, what are you going to do when life knocks you down? What are you going to do? 
I mean, really, honestly, before you get there, you need to ask yourself that question. What am I going to do? When it knocks me down, am I going to get up or am I going to stay down? Am I going to whine and moan and blame God and scream and holler or whatnot? Or am I going to keep going? Am I going to rejoice in the Lord in all things? Am I going to find that joy when I want to cry? Or am I going to keep my eyes on the prize, my hope in Jesus? Or am I just going to keep running when I'm not sure I can take one more step? I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep taking that step. Beloved child of God, you are a child of the King. And today, I just want to encourage your faith. Faith produces joy. It produces hope. It produces perseverance. Faith must be acted upon. It must be lived out. And when you get knocked down, it is the fortitude of faith that is going to keep you going. Father, I pray today that you would make us great men and women of faith. Father, I pray that you would strengthen our faith, encourage our faith, fill us with faith. God, I pray for those of us here this morning, Lord, who aren't sure how we're even going to take the next step. Maybe we even had a hard time getting out of bed this morning. This world has knocked us down, and it seems to just keep on knocking and keep on knocking. Father, I pray that you would be mighty in our lives today, and Lord, that our faith might be strengthened and encouraged in you. I thank you, Lord, that you don't give up on us, and God, may we find that we don't give up on you, Lord. By faith today, I pray, Lord, that you would be all in all in us. And this is my prayer now, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite you to stand right now, and, uh, and I'm just going to invite you to express your faith. The altar is open. Maybe you need